Good morning. It is a beautiful morning. Only one person agrees with me. Tell you what, I woke up this morning and that I've reached the age where that makes it beautiful. Just opening my eyes and breathing in that fresh air. And there, I've already been hit with questions on the rumors, and I'll just I'll, I'll settle the rumors here. Um, we did put an offer in on a house. Before everybody jumps up and down, it's a whole process, as you know. So when we get done with the process, then we'll we'll celebrate. But so far, so good. Everything's moving forward, and it looks like the Lord is leading. And as you know, from the last house we spoke about, it looks like God was saving us for this one. So we're praising God right now, and we're just looking forward to where we can be within the actual, dare I say, driving distance, normal driving distance with our church family. So it'll be good. Um, But speaking of deals, have you ever made a deal that you wished you hadn't made? (laughs) I hear all the guys saying that. all the wheelers and dealers, we've all made something, haven't we? I remember when we first moved down to Phoenix, it's been oh, a dozen or more years ago now. It's been been quite a while. But when we first moved down here, we moved down here with my little Ford Ranger. And it was back in the days when the Ford Rangers were, I mean, really little. They were small. And, and we, we got down here, and, and I remember we went over to a, a Walmart And we parked in the parking lot, and we went in and did our thing, and we came back out. And, of course, we're still adjusting to the 150,000 degrees at this point. And and we get out there, and it wouldn't start. And it wouldn't start. I mean, nothing. It was just dead. And we sat there for a long time trying to figure out what it could be and wires and the whole nine yards, and we could figure out nothing. And and so that was our cue. You know, I'd driven over 400,000 miles in that truck. That was our cue. It was time to get a new vehicle. And so we we went on this search, and we were looking high and low at just about anything within our our price range, which our price range meant it was going to be something used. And and we found one. We found this this old Camry, and I remember looking at her, and she's looking at me, and we both like Toyotas, and and I had a Toyota once, uh, a Corolla that got over six hundred thousand miles before it went kaput. So I was like, you know, this is a Toyota. This should be a good deal. And so we we test drove it, and we went over to a friend of ours who was a mechanic, and we let him look at it. He puts it up on the rack, and he goes through, and he's, you know, this and that, and he lets it back down, and he said, well, I need to tell you that I just don't think this is the car for you. And I said, can you tell me why? I just don't think this is the car for you. I, I think you'd be better off if you if you let this one go and waited and, and looked for something else. And we drove it back and we're like, man, we just can't find anything wrong with this car. And so we decided to trump the advice of the professional mechanic and we went ahead and bought it anyway. And it served us, you know, fairly well for years, except every so often it didn't. And when it didn't, It didn't. I remember I pulled into a gas station one time and I bought gas and I came out and same thing as the Ford Ranger, just nothing. It was dead. Nothing. And I was like, how can it do it at the gas station? You know, I'm still sitting at the gas pump. I was at the gas pump for like three, four hours. And finally, I got someone to tow it 
They worked on it for two days. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. And so after those two days, I went out and I was like, well, I'm just, I'm just going to try it. When it fired right up. All right, we're back in business, you know, and, and start driving it around again. And it went fine for months. And then I was coming back from the church that we were at at that time, um, Paradise Valley, for those of you who know Paradise Valley. I was going back home and I got right, you know how they got those lights as you're entering the highway that regulate how quick you get on and, and off. And, and I got there and the light turned green, thud. And here I sat. And and I got out and I'm messing with it, trying to get something. Someone else pulls in behind me and he's working on it and we're both under the hood and the police show up. What's going on here? I don't know. It just died and we're trying to get it so we can get out of the road, you know, but it, it is here. Um, needless to say, I think all of us have experienced at least one time in our life when we made a deal that we wish we hadn't made. Take your Bibles and turn with me to book of Joshua. Israel, I think if you were to look at the history of Israel, you would see that they too experienced times where they made deals that they wished they hadn't. And Joshua 9 is one of those times. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. We're going to do a little more reading today than normal, uh, so bear with me. But Joshua 1, or Joshua 9, we're going to start in verse 1. We'll mostly be here. We'll skip over to Leviticus for a little while, but mostly right here. Joshua 9, verse 1 says, And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland, and in all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? Israel had been forbidden to make a covenant with any of the people that lived in the area where, where God was giving them. You remember when we started this uh, series on Joshua, we said that, that wherever they set their foot, God had already given to them. And so they were supposed to go throughout the land of Canaan they were supposed to conquer it and possess it. And, and everywhere they went, God had already given them that land. And so they weren't supposed to make any covenants with any of the people. God had already passed judgment on these people. These people were corrupt. In fact, if you were to go to Deuteronomy 20 verse 18, it says that the reason they weren't supposed to make covenants is because Corrupt people have an influence on uncorrupt people. In other words, when they were supposed to possess the land, they were supposed to be the representatives of God, and there was supposed to be no outside influence that caused them to act in a way or behave in a way that was not godly. 
And by mingling with certain people, sometimes, anybody ever, you don't have to raise your hand, you can keep it private. I speak from experience, and there's a few more here that I know do. If you've ever had an addiction, if you've ever had to deal with an addiction, and it, and it never fails, when, when, you, when you break away from that addiction and you're breaking away from those friends, sometimes you don't break far enough away from those friends, right? And, and you go over and you visit, you know, how's my old buddy? And you're sitting around talking, and, and it doesn't matter what your addiction is. I'm going to use alcohol. Never fails. Pop the top. You want one? Oh, no, I quit. Are you sure? I'm sure. And, and now, take it. These are the people that I hung out with. They get up and stick it under your nose and wave the smell right under your nose. You sure you don't want one? And the next thing you know, you're having to start the process of quitting all over again. So, Influence from other people can affect your behavior if you're not careful. And God is telling them, don't mingle with these people. Don't get involved with these people. You're not far enough out of Egypt. You're not ready for this. And you need to be an influence for God. I remember coming um, back into the church. I had been gone for 25 years, give or take, and I was on my way back into the church, and things were going good. And, and I was in this nice atmosphere of good church people, people who loved God, people who loved me. They, they warmed me right into the church, and it was fantastic. And we went on this float trip. And I know it's Arizona. You don't do that kind of thing here. But back in Missouri where we had water, we would do float trips in canoes. And they're these little boats, you know, kind of like a kayak. We're going down, and we get about halfway down this float trip, and there's this uh, gravel bar. They said they always parked there because there's this big rock, and the, they could climb up on the rock, and they could, the water was deep enough they could jump, you know, 15 feet and jump into the water, and it was lots of fun. Well, I'm scared of heights, so I wasn't going to climb up the rock, but I was willing to stop. Well, when we got there, there was this campground, and, and there were people camped there, and they were just waking up at noon. They were just waking up. They were still under the influence from the night before. They didn't need to open new ones, but they were. And here they were, they're popping them open before they ever eat anything, and they're coming out there and they're walking. And I remember they start walking towards me. Never mind the other 40 people of the church, they spotted me. And here they come. Well, you look like you like to have fun. It depends on what you call fun. And, and, of course, the temptation was thrown right out there. And, and I'll never forget, the first thing that I did was I got right back in my canoe and I went right down river without anybody else. I went by myself because I wasn't ready to be in the presence of that temptation at that time. God is saying, my people, you're not ready for this. You're not prepared to have someone come in and be an influence on you. I'm teaching you to be an influence on them. So they weren't supposed to form any attachment to these people. They weren't supposed to make any of these covenants or these agreements or these alliances. Now, these people, you get from reading this that they weren't exactly the most honest people because it says here in verse... Let me find it now. I just lost it. Verse 4, they worked craftily, and they went and pretended to be ambassadors. 
You know, you get, number one, they were already in alliance with these other people, but when they found out the strength of the God of Israel and what Israel was doing to the people as they come up to them, they said, never mind this alliance. We're going to make ourselves look like ambassadors from a far, far country, and we're traveling along, and we just we just want to make a covenant. We just want an alliance. That's all we want. And we're not going to be any bother because we're from far away. They were not the most honest people. And probably... This is one of the things that God was talking about. You don't need that kind of influence right now. You don't need the influence of dishonest people. In fact, in verse 8, if you were to continue reading, Joshua 9, verse 8, it says, But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. They just met. We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? So they said to him, from a very far country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord, your God, for we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon, king of Heshbon and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, Take provisions with you for the journey and go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. This bread of ours, we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins, which were filled, were new. And see, they are torn. (laughs) And these, our garments and our sandals, have become old because of the very long journey. Can you hear me? There. Good thing we were reading. You could read ahead. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. They did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live and the rulers and the congregation swore to them. Joshua and the leaders made a big mistake. Did you catch it? Yeah, it's pretty obvious. The Bible comes around and says they did not ask the Lord. They didn't go to God. They just said, okay, we'll take you at your word. That's like like walking up to a car lot and just taking the dealer at his word that that's a good car. By the way, did I mention that that dealer had a law degree? I learned why. But Israel just took them at their word. See, look at the bread, it's moldy. Okay, take your word for it. They forgot to go to God. They forgot to ask the Lord who knows the beginning to the end, who sees what we can't see, who looks upon the heart of all people. They forgot to go to ask him, what do we do with these people? Who are they? We know from past history that when you go to God, he will give an answer in that. He will give you guidance in that. May not be the answer that you like. He may tell you don't have anything to do with those people. But he will steer you in the right direction. And of course, it didn't take them too long to figure out that they made a bad deal. I mean, just a couple verses. In fact, the next verse, verse 16, and it happened at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they had heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. 
Israel's leadership found themselves in a little bit of a pickle, didn't they? Because they did exactly what God had said not to do. God said, don't make any alliances with these people. Don't make any covenants with these people. And without even asking God's guidance, that's exactly what they did. They went and made a covenant with these people. You know how it is when you know what the Lord says in the Bible of what you're supposed to do. You read the Bible and the Bible says, don't do this or do that. And you're trying your best. You want to please God. You want to make it right. And you trip and you fall anyway. I think Paul said it best. That which I want to do, I don't do. And that what I don't want to do, I do. Well, Israel's experiencing that right now. They were trying to follow God. They were trying to do what he wanted, but they did exactly the opposite of what God told them to do. Listen what it says here in verse 18. Picture the pickle here. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel and all the congregation complained against the rulers. You see, they found themselves between a rock and a hard place because they made a covenant with people. These people had lied to them. And by all rights, you know how it is when somebody lies. I've got to hold those people accountable, don't I? I've got to do it, except I made a covenant that I wouldn't do that. So you're stuck in this conundrum of, Either way you do it, it's not going to wind up good because two wrongs never make a right. Or do they? Thank you. I'm making sure you guys are still awake with me here. Two wrongs never make a right. And that's where Israel was because they, they swore to God they weren't going to make a covenant. Then they made a covenant and they swore to God that they weren't going to hurt these people. Which swearing do you go by? Well, let's see what the Israel leaders did. Verse 19, then all the rulers said to them, or said to all the congregation, we have swore to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the rulers said to them, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. Then Joshua called for them and he spoke to them saying, why have you deceived us saying we are very far from you when you dwell, you dwell near us? Now therefore you are cursed and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. <clears throat> Therefore, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them and that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. Joshua's not happy. I mean, you see that. Joshua's not happy. And honestly, as you go through, I, I look at the solution that they came up with, and I don't think it originated with Joshua or the leaders. I think this was a God-ordained solution to the problem. And you wonder why, 
I think it was a God thing because where, what was the punishment? What was the punishment that Israel gave to Gibeon? That's a question you may answer. Woodcutters and water carriers, they're going to service the temple. They're going to service the temple for the house of God. What does the house of God need woodcutters and water carriers for? They need wood for the burnt sacrifices, don't they? Right to the altar of God. They're going to cut that wood. They're going to carry the wood in, and they're going to place it. In fact, when you read it in Leviticus chapter 1, you don't have to go there now because of time, but Leviticus chapter 1, and just read the verses 1 through 8 when you get home this afternoon. Leviticus 1, 1 through 8. Just read through because they put wood on the altar to complete the sacrificial process. Okay, what about the water? The labor, what's the purpose of the labor? Why do they need to wash? Didn't they take a shower before they came to church? Okay, they're cleansing themselves before they come into the presence of God, or you might say that the blood of Christ covered them. It was a representation of the blood of Christ covering them before they went into the most holy place. Would that make sense? I, I Personally, I would, I would not walk into the most holy place without the blood of Christ covering me. Does that make sense? So they needed water for the lavers, for the priests to wash themselves and, and to, to symbolically be cleansed. What was the altar for? Worship? Sacrifice for their sins, right? It was a representation. In fact, I would suggest everything in that sanctuary service that, that the Gibeonites are now have a front row seat to, everything in that service had to do with the plan of salvation. Would you agree with me on that? Everything there, everything that these people saw was now they were looking with a front row seat on the plan of salvation. Do you think maybe God had something to do with the solution? Because he saw Israel in a pickle. He saw they had made a bad choice. They went against, but you know, God can still work with that. Because our God is a God of second chances. Our God is a God who believes. Our, our existence alone is evidence that God believes in second chances. Because when sin first originated in humanity, he could have said, that's it. And just started fresh with new people. But he didn't because he believes in second chances. And he saw Israel needed a second chance here. And, and so I think God designed this in such a way that, okay, you've made them slaves, so to speak, servants, and they're going to be part of your people no matter what happens from now on because you've sworn this covenant with them. So now we need to bring them along so that they can understand not only who you are as a people, as a church family, but they need to understand who your God is. They need to understand the Lord God Almighty. And, and so God is showing grace, not only to Gibeon, the, the crafty little liars that weaseled their way in, but also to Israel because they made a mistake. God shows grace on all of them so that everyone, everyone, can understand the plan of salvation. 
God was demonstrating his grace in saving all of humanity. And who better to demonstrate that grace to than the people who were as crooked and corrupt as you could ever imagine? People who went back on their first alliance to make a new alliance with somebody else because they had the stronger army. People who were just looking to save themselves. They were so bad that Israel wasn't even supposed to associate them, not even with a truce or an alliance, because some of that evil might rub off on God's people. They might be the influence that steers God's people away from God. Yet God shows grace, and God puts them in a position to get an education on who God's people are so that they can learn righteousness, so that they can learn about sin, the consequences of sin, and God's redemptive plan. More than that, God found it within his heart to put them in a position to learn about his love and that they would have an opportunity to experience that love for themselves. When you look through the Bible, you see Gibeon come up in, in several places in Israel's history. In 1 Kings chapter 3, you see Solomon was visited by God, and, and God offers him anything he wanted. You guys remember the story. Solomon, what do you want? I'll give you anything that you want. What did Solomon ask for? Wisdom and knowledge to lead God's people. Well, God gave it to him along with wealth and honor and peace, and he did it at Gibeon. That was at Gibeon. 1 Samuel chapter 21, you read the story of how Israel was in a famine. And when King David asked about it, God said it was because Saul had tried to massacre the Gibeonites. The very people that Joshua called cursed, God defended. 1 Chronicles 12, you see a man named Ishmael listed as one of David's mighty men, and he was in rule of over 30 others. He was a Gibeonite. But the most spectacular thing I think that the Bible says about Gibeon is in chapter 10, if you'll turn there with me. Joshua chapter 10, and I'm going to start reading in verse 7, because when these other kings and these other countries found out what Gibeon had done, they're already lined up. They're ready to go to war with Joshua. They're ready to go on the attack. Wait a minute. Look what Gibeon did. I thought they were on our side. Did they sign the treaty? They signed the treaty. I've got the document right here. It's see written in blood. There they are. They're supposed to be on our side going against Israel, going against Joshua. But if you look, they're over there with Joshua looking back at us. So instead of going directly against Joshua, they turned and they went directly against Gibeon. Let's hear what, it, what happens. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, <coughs> chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Machedah. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Haran that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more of them from the hailstones who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day. Listen to what happens. 
when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ihalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. I want you to stop and think about that for just a moment. God did one of the most impressive to humans miracles that he's ever done. He stopped the sun and the moon. He stopped the rotation of the earth, so to speak. I was just reading, and I've heard it my whole life, that if the earth were to stop spinning, that we would all go flying off of it, but not when the Lord God Almighty stops the earth from spinning, amen? When the Lord God Almighty does it, We stay here on this earth and it serves his purpose and his purpose was to show grace to these people, to show his love to a people that did not deserve it. Yet he honored their agreement, the illegitimate agreement with his people Israel and performed one of the greatest miracles the world has ever seen. The bottom line is that we all make mistakes. We all do the wrong thing from time to time. We all need a second chance. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, what does it say? You guys know this. What does it say? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. A God of second chances. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve to die. Yet God has given us the chance through Jesus Christ, who went to the cross and died for our sins so that we might have eternal life. He gave up the eternal life that he deserved so that we could have it. He took the death that we deserved so that we could live. He died to give you a choice just like he died to give Israel and Gibeon a choice. And from what I read in my Bible, they chose to follow God. The choice today is yours. Do you choose to follow a Lord who loves you so much that he died so that you could live? Not all of us have made that choice. I know many of us here have. If you have not made that choice yet, But today, you want to be like the people of Gibeon and you want to say, I don't really understand how this works, but I want to be with a God like that. Come and see me after church because I'd like to talk to you what that looks like. In the meantime, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you for second chances as we find it in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray, Lord that you will touch our hearts in a special way, that you will lead us into your righteousness. But Lord, we also want to lift up those people, whether they be here today or whether they be watching online, wherever they may be, Lord, we pray that you would put them in touch with somebody 
who can share your love and your grace with them and that they too can have that second chance in eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.